Super Talk Mississippi media production. State Treasurer David McRae is returning record amounts of money to Mississippians, whether it's through the College and Career Savings Program or the millions in unclaimed money awaiting your claim. Treasurer David McRae says get your application and claims today. Treasury.ms.gov. Howdy, howdy. It's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. I'm your host, Gerard Gibbert, along with Rhino in the Element Well Studios, guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder, and fine music on this Friday, y'all. And another eventful day. I just want you to know that uh, I am oppressed, not to be confused confused with depressed i am oppressed i'm joining in the ranks of those who claim oppression i'm just pressed <laughs> let me explain it to you though it's that dang heat that's got me oppressed <laughs> it is oppressive heat and humidity Woo! it's something isn't it oh yeah i mean usually i could stand to sit on the front porch and just put the box fan and it's not that bad because you got your own <laughs> man-made breeze but, uh, i tried sitting outside yesterday and it was just miserable so i went back into the air conditioning and enjoyed myself it's as they say not fit for man or beast wow well uh more stuff coming out of the supreme court today but before we get to that in keeping with the theme of the program We're going to start out with a little fodder. Will you please explain to the audience what you shared with me post-broadcast yesterday? Talking about birthdays? Yes. This is bizarre, folks. Yeah, so a couple days ago, in the land of South Korea, they changed a tradition to get in line with the rest of the world. Their old tradition now was when you were born, you were given the age of one. So you start counting at one. And then on the following January 1st, they add one, so you're two. And then on your birthday, you're three. And from there on, you you just age like the rest of the world does. Every year on your birthday, you add another year to your age. Well, that doesn't really line up with how the rest of the world (laughs) calculates their age. So to get in line with the rest of the world, make medical records a little easier to transport, make the record-keeping line up with other countries. With the stroke of a pen, they changed how they calculate their age. So now, in South Korea, they calculate your age. When you're born, you are zero, and on your next birthday, you are one. So with the stroke of a pen, pretty much the entirety of South Korea lost a year or two on their age. (laughs) So if you're really close to retirement or 
driving or <laughs> being able to purchase an alcoholic beverage. You got to wait another year or two. Well, I wonder if they have uh, a similar program, a retirement program, a government-sponsored retirement program such as Social Security. Because if you did that in France, they'd burn the whole damn country down, right? Of course, they are anyhow, based on the report you shared with us yesterday. Some. Uh, police action they are none too happy about. And it's gotten even crazier. They're, yeah. they're setting entire buildings on fire. They're cutting down the uh, the camera towers that the police were using to keep track of all of them, including a couple real geniuses that were using a, a giant saw to cut down one of the towers while their buddies were in the way of the tower falling. That didn't end well for them. Uh, they stole construction equipment to tear up stuff. Saw a video of uh, a group of them that stole a public bus and were just running it like crazy through town. They've stolen big rigs and run them through the fronts of shopping centers. It's uh, it's hysteria over there. Maybe even mass hysteria. Hmm. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, it uh, it's crazy for sure. I, I've seen some photos. I mean, it it looks like literally the whole country's on fire. It does to me. So, in uh, some other news, just uh, trying to mix it up a little bit here, the state of Maryland now will begin sales of recreational marijuana tomorrow, just in time for the holiday weekend. Go out and fry your brain. <laughs> they said about 100 stores which have already been licensed to sell medical cannabis. They're now in the process of getting it all set up for the big recreational launch tomorrow. That's five years, by the way, after they enacted medical marijuana. This is cannabis kind of Independence Day, over Independence Day weekend, and so it's nice to be able to pull something together that makes it more of a celebratory, no, pardon me, celebratory, (laughs) could be celebratory depending on who's partaking, (laughs) celebratory occasion, said Brandon Barksdale, co-CEO of Remedy Maryland. (laughs) What a catchy name. Remedy, Maryland, which has a superstore in Columbia. Get your fix at the Remedy, Maryland superstore. <laughs> What's a superstore? What does that look like? Just like stacks of bombs or what? What is that? <laughs> That's when the Wally world is shut down, and it's been a couple different things. It was probably a gym at one point, and now it's a dispensary. I got you. So this new law creates a personal use amount for people 21 and older to possess up to 1.5 ounces of cannabis flower. Possess it. Now, not buy it. Possess it. That's uh, that's half what you can buy in a month under Mississippi's medical cannabis program. So, by the way, Mississippi, we last reported, has seen some 13,000 signed up for the medical cannabis program, newly minted. In the state of Maryland, 163,000 in the program. Now, you can do the math there. That's what, 12x? I believe so, roughly. Roughly, yeah. 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 
So 12 the population of Maryland, however, is not 12x Mississippi's. Just doing some extrapolation there. What's Maryland? Five million, maybe? Six? Six point one six five million. That's pretty close. So you so double roughly the population of the state of Mississippi, twelve X the number of medical cannabis users. Interesting. I mean Baltimore alone has almost six hundred thousand people. Yeah, I mean you don't think much beyond Baltimore. Baltimore, as they say in the area. I have a uncle lives up there. Really, it's actually my cousin, but age-wise, I've always referred to him as my uncle. I've always heard good things about the Orioles' ballpark. It's great. Of course, you know it was designed by Mississippi State architect, female. And it was one of the first to incorporate some of the old structures to be to sort of this return to building the stadiums in the downtown areas. It is pretty cool, no doubt about it. Uh, Camden Yards, I believe, is what it's referred to. Oriole Park at Camden Yards. Yeah, really, really cool. Uh, agree. Uh, and, and Baltimore, honestly, other than unfortunately the crime and all the other urban blight, you know, along the harbor there, that's a really neat area. Now, I hadn't been there in twenty years. I don't know anymore. But this is uh, this now makes what twenty three states, I believe, that have. Uh, authorized, enacted programs to allow recreational marijuana. I believe 38 have rec. Uh, pardon me, medic, medical. I think this is either 23 or 24. Close to half of the states have approved uh, recreational marijuana. And in addition to that, and I know we shared this before, but it's getting a little bit more attention is the NCAA. Uh, They've got a panel which has recommended to the NCAA. They commissioned a panel to study the matter. You know how that goes. You've got to do a study. And they are looking to weed out. See what I did there? They're looking to weed out marijuana from the list of banned Drugs for student athlete. Is this sending the right message? Because these are 18-year-olds, by the way. These are 18-year-olds when you enter college and play in college sports. And so you've got athletes who have been disqualified because they failed the drug test. Heck, I remember my son, man, he played, uh, you know, baseball. Uh, at a D1 school, and center fielder was kicked off right before the season. Failed the drug test. And it's just marijuana. Just marijuana. But it's, you know, against NCAA rules. Of course, they're saying that there's a whole system, a whole underground industry involved in urine samples and all that kind of crazy stuff. We're taking a break. We've got Kelly Bennett. Super Talk Mississippi News at 11.20 and Robert St. John at 12.05 on middays. We shall return. 
Check it out. Let's do this. The talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Let's get on with it. On Super Talk Mississippi. We are back in the Element Well Studio. We thank you so much for joining us today. It is a hot one out there. Please be safe. Keep the pets safe as well, folks. So, uh, pardon me, that's the little... So, this is a crazy thing, but the function key on my laptop that mutes your audio. You got one that mutes it, and then you got a couple that control the volume, right? Right. Okay, so when the function key is illuminated, indicating that the audio has been muted, it projects audio. And when it's off, <laughs> it mutes it. I think my. I wonder if this is related to my battery failing. Maybe. Sometimes that can kind of interfere with the OS a little bit if you uh, in the switching process. But I, I haven't put my new battery in, but I'm going to. Got to go back to the old little computer surgery. Yeah, uh, and it's one of those deals where I was sure that the battery kit that I bought had the tools to open the case because you got those weird little torque screws in there. Oh, yeah, and those aren't even all made the same because you have the torques and you have the security torques. That's right. Where it's got the little dot in the middle. Yeah. Um, So we're back with you. We thank you so much. And we've got text rolling in on the C Spire text line. Dan in Hattiesburg says, well, Gerard, they made their decision on student loans, and it's obviously political, tongue-in-cheek. Yeah, they have. And so the ruling is, folks, from the student loan uh, case that went all the way to the Supreme Court, they have blocked the bailout. They said the president does not possess the authority, even as the chief executive of the government to just with the swipe of a pen forgive what would amount to about 500 billion of student loans you got to pay them back oh the horror the problem is the whole the democrat party is just one big grift operation that was totally about getting votes now here's my concern to be honest with you folks This may help the Democrat Party, just as I think the Dobbs decision helped the Democrat Party. So if you get it right with respect to the Constitution, because remember, the Supreme Court, its mission, its charter, is to be apolitical. The old concept of blind justice which has kind of left the room for a while. Well, the, this Supreme Court 
which Joe Biden termed as radical and dangerous. Well, does that also mean, Joe, that the Constitution is radical and dangerous? And by the way, Rhino may be able to dig some sound up. I sent him a couple of days ago. Old Joe, he's still a bit confused about the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. Still having trouble with that. Remember, was it a year or so ago, a couple years ago, when he was trying to recite the Declaration of Independence? We hold these truths to be self-evidence that all men are created equal. Oh, you know the thing. Remember that? (laughs) Well, yesterday, he got a little confused again over there at MSNBC the whole network of the race lady and all the other brilliant Marxist <laughs> commentators and journalists. I think it was Nicole Wallace, the president, sat down for an interview. And no, there's nothing to play here. We'll describe it if you haven't seen it. I sent it to Rhino yesterday after it happened. He just got up off the set. So... You know, I was thinking about that, Rhino. So what happened is they completed the interview, but he sort of got up and shook hands while the camera was still live on the air. And he just got up, did his his uh, his normal looking around which way do I go sort of deal with the host still sitting in the chair and the camera still airing the the uh, the studio, the set with the two sitting next to each other. And I started thinking, he's lucky he didn't have a mic tethered to him. Because normally, you're sitting in that chair, you got something in your ear, a um, a speaker. And uh, he's lucky he didn't have that. It would have pulled him back into the chair. But it's just bizarre. He just got up, walked off, shook hands. But he attempted at least to sort of relate yesterday's affirmative action ruling to our founding documents. You found it? But he got uh, confused. Here we go. But under the trickle-down economic theory, three-quarters of U.S. industries grew more concentrated. Oh, it's different. This is different. My bad. We'll get that one in a minute. See if you can find the other one. Uh, but in the meantime, it, this, so again, I know people may get upset. Gerard, you're picking on the president again, and you got to look the other way on that kind of stuff. Well, but it's every day. It's, it's become expected. It's become regular. It's not just an occasional out-of-left-field sort of, okay, well, we're all in the in the public square. We're all subject to an error. I do it, of course. You sit here and talk every day for three hours. That's going to happen. But it's every single time with the president. And the Democrats are even starting to talk about. All right, I got it. Here we go. Some of your former Senate colleagues on the Judiciary Committee would go as far as to say that it's anti-democratic. Do you agree with that? Well, you know, if I say it's anti-democratic, then it gets you get a lot of trouble. trouble. <laughs> no, 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 but, but it, it is. 
its its value system is different, and and its its respect for institutions is different, and in that sense, it is uh, it is not as embracing of of all. What I think the the Constitution says, we hold these truths to be self that all men and women are created equal, endowed by their creator. It's the uniqueness of America. We never fully lived up to it. We never walked away from it. And this court seems to say that, no, that's not always the case. The idea there's no right of privacy in the Constitution, giving states power that we fought a war over in 1960. Um, You know, I I just think it's... um, this is not your father's Republican Party. What do you say? So break it down for us there. But first, we got the Declaration of Independence being cited as from the Constitution, and the next we fought a war in 1960. So the day before, it was a couple of times right. He mentioned that he thought Ukraine was starting to get the upper hand in the war in Iraq. Right? Said that two times, I believe. He said Putin was losing in Iraq. Putin was losing. Okay. In Iraq. So then, because yesterday we were I'm so... I'm just confused about the whole war in 1960, because the Korean War, while it technically didn't end, it was... The hostilities were ended in, what, 53? Right. And then... American service members didn't get involved in Vietnam until, what, 64? Right. So who are we fighting in 1960? I, it's, it hurts, honestly. I, I want to sit here and and really, I guess, rebuke the president here. But, man, a lot rides on the person sitting in that office. We need someone with full faculties, and how can you listen to this? So from the day before, I didn't get to this yesterday because we were consumed with the affirmative action Supreme Court ruling. When we come back, we'll play some sound from his speech on the economy. And that's what I intended to come in and talk about yesterday and really never got to it, but we'll kick off the next segment with a little sound from uh, the president when he was delivering this speech in Chicago, by the way. Why Chicago? Because it's union-friendly. That's why. And that's all he wants to talk to. Has he ever been to the South to talk about his economic policies? Can anybody point to an example of that? We're stepping aside with the Allman Brothers bumping us out of this segment on Middays. Stay with us. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Welcome, welcome to our show on Super Talk Mississippi. Okay, now you have a good one.
We are back. Thank you so much for joining us. Also wanted to give out a, a part of me a shout out to Larry from Mize, who frequently sends us texts on the ceasefire text line. He came by to say hello down uh, on the Gulf Coast when I was there Tuesday for the Mississippi Municipal League Conference. Appreciate that. Always enjoy getting to meet uh, those out there in the audience listening and tuning in on ceasefire TV and on the web, watching us on video. Always enjoy getting to meet the good people uh, face-to-face, so I appreciate that. And several other people, too, as well, that uh, I see around when we're out doing the remotes. Let's see, the next one, we're going to be doing the Palmer Home here pretty soon. And then we got the Neshoba County Fair. Oh, boy, the fireworks will be going crazy then, won't they? (laughs) We're going to have some fun with that. So... It was Wednesday when the president, this was before the Supreme Court handed down its landmark ruling yesterday on affirmative action, and then landmark rulings this morning, which we'll get to. But it was Wednesday when the president was promoting his Bidenomics plan in Chicago, and here's what he said. Under the trickle-down economic theory, three-quarters of U.S. industries grew more consecrated, I mean, excuse me, consecrated. I'm thinking I didn't go to Mass. They they were moving to diminish competition. That's really not funny, Joe. But the people found it within them to laugh. Um, I guess I do share... One thing, it's got to be the only thing I share in common with Joe, is that we're both Catholics, born and raised here. I think he was as well. So we uh, we consider consecration to be something of reverence, something we venerate, something that's very solemn. But he's kind of making a joke about it there. I didn't really appreciate that. But more importantly, what he was obviously trying to say there was concentration, not consecrated. Again, I get it. You can certainly confuse words in public speaking. I dare say anyone out there in our audience that has ever engaged in any sort of public speaking. You're subject to doing that. But it happens on a daily basis with this guy. Every time he speaks, you'll be hard-pressed to find a situation where that doesn't happen. And that's a serious concern. More importantly, though, with respect to his Bidenomics, something hit me this morning, Rhino, and i tell you why. Because yesterday, Fed Chairman Jay Powell says, yeah, we're not really happy about the way that our our rate hiking actions have not really cooled inflation to the extent we hoped for, that we expected. You know, that transitory thing, inflation. So Powell says, I think we're going to have to hike some more, even though, remember, they paused last month. He signaled that the Board of Governors of the Federal Reserve are poised to 
increase the benchmark rate even more than above its present level and said, and I think we're going to have to keep them there a little longer than we thought. And the market's really struggling with this information because there's so much money on the sidelines waiting to come in, waiting to go to work. But sitting in cash, it's not. You don't want to tie it up in long-term bonds because then you may end up selling them prior to receiving the full return you expected so that you can go invest in equities. I mean, this is the dilemma that investors, especially institutional investors and wealth managers, face on a daily basis in the present environment, trying to read all that. But we did get... And the reason the market's up today, by the way, 204, we got some relatively positive news on personal consumption expenditures. Came in 0.1% below expectations. Essentially, it's a, it's a gauge of inflation that the Fed does, does monitor, I would argue, more closely than the CPI. But here's where I'm going with this. So, you know, every time you see the president make a speech regarding or any comments regarding the economy. What does he always point to? We've created more jobs than any other president like ever in the history of the world or something like that. Always that, right? And I've said that, hey, Mr. President, the 1970s want their economic policies back. That is not the problem. And that's, honestly, that's the dilemma. The problem is, I think if you talk to anybody on the street and said, Hey, what's the main problem you're having from a financial perspective in your household? Man, stuff just costs so much. Would you agree with that, Rhino? That's oh, what yeah. people would say. Because what's what's strange about the the environment today is that you got a job. And honestly, had that dynamic been different in the midterms, the outcome would have been different. But the fact is, most people say, well, at least I got a job. And that's because we have showered so much money on the nation's people out of helicopters that we got to get them to work. They're sitting at home still, still have that problem. Yet the president boasts about job creation. And the only really valid measurement of his performance in that category would be to compare it to pre-pandemic figures. But he doesn't. He compares it to figures post-pandemic when he and, honestly, virtually other, all the other elected leaders across the country shut the damn economy down. Go home. Don't work. And then what they do, gave us trillion dollars to pay people not to work, just to keep them on payroll. And we paused student loan debt, we increased the Medicaid, we sent the Medicaid uh, match, we sent uh, STEMI checks to them, but we increased the child tax credit and all that stuff. I mean, it was just a host of giveaways, honestly. And now we're all sitting here saying, gee, where did that inflation come from? You 400 Ph.D. economists in the government who said, oh, it's transitory. You missed it. But here's the asinine aspect of this. We got the president boasting about job creation, and we got the Fed chairman looking 
for job destruction. He ain't happy until unemployment goes up. Think about that. That's just the nutty, absurd part of government. We got the president boasting about something that the Fed sees as bad from an interest rate perspective, from an inflationary perspective. The Fed knows as long as people got money, even though stuff's more expensive, they still got disposable income to spend, and it's really, really, really hard to tame inflation with that going on. That's Econ 101, the typically uh, inflation and unemployment move in opposite directions. Higher the unemployment is, lower the inflation, the theory being, well, people got less money to spend. Therefore, sellers of goods and services have to be uh, more efficient and uh, honestly have to be a little bit more discount and price conscious because people don't have as much money. The, the few that are working are your customers, but you still got a whole bunch that aren't. But that's a problem when we keep sending the money not to work. And so we got a president, we got the federal government with fiscal policy fighting the Fed with monetary policy. That's asinine. It just is. By the way, it's another word for dumb, <laughs> for foolish. But that's what we're dealing with. Incredible. You think they might have a meeting and get together on the same page here? And every time, because he's a political hack, like everybody in the Biden administration, every time Jay Powell gets asked about, hey, do you think the government ought to consider some supply-side fiscal policy as a means to combat inflation? He won't ever say anything about it. Well, you know, we don't do that here at the Fed. No, we're just asking you, Mr. Smart Economist, that said this was transitory. Grow a pair and say something. Why don't you go tell Joe Biden, hey, you really got to stop with all this, dude. Have you heard, can anybody tell me, and I know we've got some Biden supporters in our audience, Rhino, can any of them tell me what Joe Biden has ever done that is supply-side-oriented policy? Because, you see, that's another way to tame inflation. Produce more. Incentivize companies to produce more. More supply, that uh, tends to balance with demand. You get the picture. That's just Econ 101. We're coming right back. Stay with us. I feel good. 7.3. Covering the stories that matter most to Mississippians. Gerard Gibbert. Middays with Gerard. Super Talk Mississippi. The great Mark Lindsay on vocals there. Paul Revere and the Raiders. By the way, a lot of people think because he was out in front in the lead vocalist that he was the Paul Revere of Paul Revere and the Raiders, but he wasn't. <laughs> great tune there. I, I shared with Rhino yesterday. I hearkened back to my childhood. I don't know what prompted me to look it up. Well, you, you and I were talking after the show, but it. Uh, oh, I know it was. You sent me the videos. 
of the Beatles. Oh, yeah, with Ringo not playing yeah. the drums, just either yeah. riding the exercise bike or <laughs> sitting on a stool with an umbrella-looking board. These were kind of the primitive precursor to the the uh, music videos, which uh, I guess came about in the 80s. But this would be 20 years prior in the 60s when they were attempting to do, like, star and little video productions of their popular songs. But they really were faking it, of course, as we know. And one of the ways we know that is because, first, the instruments were not plugged in, as I recall. And Ringo comes out, and he just is kind of playing around. He's not really in front of a drum kit playing a drum. But the music sounds pretty good. And it made me think about uh, this the show Where the Action Is from, I think I told you, 65 to 67 it aired, a Dick Clark production. And it was set on a beach. And it, it was a kind of a beachy time for music, as you remember. Beach blanket bingo. Yeah. And I look forward to watching that every day. It had featured all the popular tunes and the artists, because that's the only way you could see these artists of the day. Sponsored by Clearasil. <laughs> that's right. We noticed that, didn't we? <laughs> Got to have some zit cream, because that's who's watching it. It's the zit age, right? <laughs> Who was the oh certs in case you got to kiss somebody? <laughs> it was certs for your breath. That was targeted marketing. Hey, at least they didn't have Dylan Bulvaney in it. <laughs> but I I fired it up on YouTube and it was pretty cool. I'm uh, watching that. But of course, a regular and what made me think of this is a regular band featured on the program was Paul Revere and the Raiders. They were very popular at the time. So seeing them, and that's back when bands would would sort of dress up in costumes, if you will, that corresponded with the band's name and theme. Paravir and the Raiders. So they all dressed in this colonial sort of uniform. What do you call the hat? The the triangular hat? Tricorn. Is that what it's called? Okay. I think so. All right. And that's kind of cool, though. Uh, it had the big boots, you know, like the riding yeah, boots. Yeah, tricorn. Yeah. Okay. What do you call the boots? The riding boots? Uh, that's what I call them. You know what I'm talking about. Really narrow uh, toe, but came up to your knee. That was right to protect you, right, when you're riding a horse. All those pirate boots. I don't know what they're called. <laughs> and uh, But that was kind of neat. Paul Revere and the Raiders. The other one that comes to mind is Gary Puckett in the Union Gap. Whatever the hell that was. He was actually, they were actually quite talented. Gary Puckett, I think, has a great voice. Um. But, uh, oh, Thomas and Greenwood says it's a pirate fedora. Well, I always think about the fedora being more what the Corleones wore in The Godfather. I've actually threatened to get one of those with my Italian face and and wear a fedora and kind of look like I'm in the mafia, (laughs) just for the heck of it. Oh, man. So, I don't know. We had a little fun with that. So, we okay, we asked about... Any particular uh, supply-side policies from the Biden administration? Jeff in Forest County says, yeah, I can give you one the CHIPS Act. Somebody else said the CHIPS Act. So those aren't supply-side policy, guys. So what you're saying is printing money and adding to the debt. And remember, the purpose of supply-side policies is to curb inflation and increase prosperity in GDP. So printing money which is where this money came from. We don't have it. We're experiencing a $2 trillion deficit. Every additional dime 
spent by the federal government in the form of new legislation adds to the deficit and adds to the debt unless it is supply-side policy that doesn't spend money but incentivizes companies to produce more. Printing money and handing it to chip manufacturers, which, by the way, are already quite wealthy. They're already quite profitable. And all we're doing here is not increasing supply. We're just moving it from one country to another. There's no increase in supply in that. At a higher cost per chip because of all the strings attached. Including the stupid child care crap. Remember, that came out, and a couple of the companies that were looking at the grant said, oh, wait, you didn't tell me about that. I'm not on board with that. But expecting Biden voters to understand actual economics is like asking a panda to solve algebraic equations. (laughs) Well, print money to hand off to corporations. Now, what the left will say is, what do you think all these tax breaks and loopholes are? No, that's allowing companies to keep the money they generated and earned through producing supply. That's what's lost on the left. No, we got to go get more of that. We got to tax them. It's time for Fox News and Super Talk News. Kelly Bennett with Super Talk Mississippi News at 1120. Stay. Welcome to the show that challenges you to think deeply, to think deeply. and look beyond political posturing. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Middays from the Element Well Studios on this rather hot Friday, y'all. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, just a precursor of what's in store for us at the Neshoba County Fair. Looking forward to that, visiting with all of those who are in the political fray. They'll all be there at the pavilion telling the folks what they're going to do, or they have done, or maybe some of both. Never know. Or it could be none of both. So the Supreme Court been busy this week. And I do believe that this may, this is going to weigh into the next election cycle. I just have this feeling, unfortunately, that it, though I think they got it right, no doubt, that it might be a factor negatively for Republicans in the election. There's already numerous calls from Democrats on the Hill to expand the court. It's radical. Joe Biden said it's not normal. It's not normal? What the heck does that mean? Hey, dude, it's not normal having you in the White House. (laughs) Oh, man. Now, somebody on here... kind of struck a nerve with me. I'm I'm looking for it. Uh, Yeah, here we go. Jeff and Grenada. This will not be a popular opinion, but we should be more concerned with the max age requirements for president 
than we are the minimum age. If you would be older than 65 at the time of inauguration, you should be ineligible for president. Well, uh, okay, Jeff, I guess that means I can't run, Rhino. Um, I disagree with you, Jeff, as a person who has eclipsed that milestone. It just depends on the person. Let the voters decide, honestly. I would say what's normal about not normal about Joe is, I know, and you guys could probably think of lots of people that are his age that are way more mentally cognitive and acute than he is. Would you not agree? I mean, you know 80-year-olds that are sharp as a tack, honestly. But Joe's struggling. You just can't deny it. And and now the, the mainstream media, the left-wing media, is starting to get on board with it. CBS caught some reports where they're showing concerns. And it's because when you see the polls, poll after poll says they're concerned about the president. It's his age. And it's more than the Republicans voters in the state. I mean, it's like, I mean, in the country. It's like 65, 68 percent or something like that say they're concerned. It's more. You couldn't get that figure just with with Republicans saying they're concerned. So that ought to make people wake up, I think, a little bit. And it and it's not, has nothing to do with, I don't think, his age. It's that they relate his age to his cognition. And, and his physical frailties. And, and of course, he's, he's 80, but contrasting to Trump, who's just four years younger. He doesn't seem like that. He doesn't seem mentally unfit, though, right off the bat, right, the Democrats, when he got elected, were trying to pull him out of office, remove him from office on that basis. Mentally unfit. No, you just don't like what he stands for. To you, anybody's mentally unfit that doesn't align with your Marxist views. So that's a distinct difference. Um, So, Jeff, I would encourage you to rethink that. I don't think you can just automatically say everybody over 65 is, is mentally unfit to serve. I just think you've got to look at it on a case-by-case basis. Heck, what is... Um, What's Fetterman, Rhino, like in his early 50s or something? My gosh, if anybody's mentally unfit, what if he runs for president? And let's be honest. What Joe, He's 53. Okay. So what Joe has in his pocket is Kamala. Kamala is his insurance. And I think every time Biden gaffes, like walking off the set on MSNBC, like confusing the Declaration of Independence with the Constitution. I I mean, maybe I'm weird in that. Look, I don't think you ought to have to have the Declaration memorized. You shouldn't necessarily be required to recite it from memory or the Constitution as a president. But, man, when you look at just the critical parts of it, um, you would just think that you would just think that you'd know a little bit more when you're serving in the high. So I would say this. You sort of got one job when you're there, and you you know, you know put your hand, your right hand there, take an oath. You might ought to know a little bit about it. 
And again, it's not just once that he's done this, it's multiple times. And just to show you kind of how things have evolved in this country and how entitled we feel we are. So this Supreme Court case that uh, where the majority ruled that a Christian graphic artist who designs wedding websites can refuse to work with same-sex couples on religious objections. Okay, so in Virginia, I track this paper, the Virginia Pilot. I receive it daily in digital form. And, at, of course, Virginia is quite left-leaning. Heck, most newspapers are quite left-leaning anyhow. So this is this is the first paragraph in the report. This just came out an hour ago. First paragraph, the title, Supreme Court Rules for Designer Who Doesn't Want to Make Wedding Websites for Gay Couples. And by the way, the photo, Rhino, that they feature in the article has a camera looking towards the sky, on the left side of the of the uh, the photo is the steeple of what you can tell is a church. I guess symbolizing marriage. And then there's a flagpole, like you typically find at a church, with the American flag on the pole at the top, like it's supposed to be, and then the LGBTQ flag below it in front of this church. The first paragraph in a defeat for gay rights. That's all you need to hear. That's the first pair. That's the opening statement, segment of a statement in the first paragraph of this article. See, here's the problem with that. You don't have the right, nobody does, for someone else to produce anything for you. That's not your right. This has nothing to do with gay rights. This has to do with rights of Americans guaranteed by the Constitution, brilliantly drafted by our framers. You don't have the right to someone else's work product. What you do have the right as a business, in my view, is to do business with whoever the hell you want. If they agree to pay you and you agree to sell them something, you got an agreement, that's just a transaction. That's an informal contract. Sometimes they're very formal contracts. And so somebody asked, do you think this is going to carry over into other businesses? I hope so, because that's the way it ought to be. Now, some people may get mad and say, oh, no, that's discrimination. No, discrimination is forcing the business to do something against their religious objection. It shouldn't even have to matter if it's a religious objection, in my view. And so, you know what protects against that? You like money. you got to have customers to survive. You treat people unfairly. I'm not doing business with them and them and them and them. You're going out of business. I can't think of a situation where I ever refused a customer. On any basis such as that. I will tell you that I have refused opportunities on the basis of the hassle factor, the risk factor, 
sometimes the financial aspects. I've fired customers because they just pay slow. Okay, but the problem is, if that customer is of a particular persuasion from a race, gender, ethnicity, then they may come back and say, you only did that because I'm such and such. No, I did it because you don't pay. And I've done that right here in the state of Mississippi with a couple of big customers that would shock you. And it's not that they didn't pay. It's just, man, I, I can't do 724, 365, all holes barred service, and you pay me once every 120 days. I can't survive like that. It's not worth it. You're fired. I want that right. Every business deserves that right. That's capitalism. I made that decision. We're coming right back with Alyssa Arbuckle. Stay with us. The talk that keeps Mississippi talking. We're rolling. Hit it. Go. Play it. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. Queen of Soul. Of course, according to Steely Dan, Hey 19 doesn't know who the Queen of Soul is, right? <laughs> All right, joining us now, Alyssa Arbuckle, multimedia journalist with Super Top Mississippi News. <laughs> For it this time, yeah. <laughs> uh, you were bragging last week. I thought I had it on. I pushed the button and nothing, and I was like, no! <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That is awesome. <laughs> All right. What you tracking these days, Alyssa? What does, what's the news team working on? We are working on, especially today, a lot yeah. of stuff, a lot of stuff in politics and um, a lot of Supreme Court stuff that we've been talking about. Um, but on a state level, we've had a lot of stuff going on, too, not just on the U.S. Supreme Court side. Yep. Um, just yesterday, I believe, or maybe it was today. No, I think it was yesterday. Um U.S. District yesterday. Court Judge Henry Wingate, he blocked Senate Bill 2343 from coming into effect a lot of bills are going into effect today because today's july 1st or wait no tomorrow, tomorrow is, so yeah. sorry i've got it's my okay. dates mixed no up. problem anyway um a lot of bills are going into effect tomorrow a lot of really important ones which i'll talk about in a minute but um 2343 is one of the controversial bills it is a, a joint bill kind of with houseville 1020 which has also been Highly debated. That's involved in a couple lawsuits. Um, so that one hasn't been passed either. That one's still being uh, held up. But uh, 2343, it mostly uh, defines the uh, area of jurisdiction for Jackson's Capitol Police. Yep. Um, it'll expand that. Um, but the problem is not that part of it. The problem is uh, with Wingate is that uh, it he believes that it might violate the First Amendment for people's right to protest because inside of the bill is a clause that would require um, people who want to protest near state buildings, government-owned property, uh, to let the 
Jackson police know and and let their um, the law enforcement know before they're going to protest, and they have to get no, that I think approved. You have to get permit. Yeah, have to yeah, get permission. To get, right. You have to let them know, and you have to have it approved before you can protest. And I think it just applies to buildings within the city of Jackson, which mm-hmm. is within the Capitol complex. Yes. So that's yeah. why it goes hand-in-hand with the Capitol Police. Yeah. Um, I know that we've had Phil and Gain on, who is the author of the bill. Senator um, Phil and Gain yes, from Harrisburg area. Yes, Senator Phil yes. Um, and he's been on to talk about it before. And I remember hearing him say his reason for the bill is not... Uh, to violate the First Amendment rights of people in Jackson, but to rather give the people who protest safety, security, and let the law enforcement know ahead of time how many people are going to be there, you know, how can we keep them safe, just make sure that everything is yeah. fine. Uh, so that's those were his intentions of the bill. And Wingate has said, you know, despite your intentions of the bill, it might be considered unconstitutional. Right. So he's put a, a pause on that from taking into effect uh, tomorrow. Uh, and so he'll go into it and figure out, you know, how constitutionally sound is that. Um, so that one will probably not be going into effect tomorrow. Um, but some really interesting bills from this past legislative session are going into effect tomorrow. Um, one, You can see a full list on our yeah. website. We have a very extensive list of really interesting ones that are kind of odd. And they need to subscribe to that Super Top Mississippi News mm-hmm. uh, newsletter. Yes. As well. Yes. Very that'll be going out. It's yeah. Yep. That'll be going out today as well. Yep. Um, so one of the interesting ones that I was following really closely that isn't really, you know, one of the big hard hitting ones like teachers being able to have firearms in the uh, in the in the room in their schools. Uh, yeah. I think the pecan theft is just really interesting. Tell us about that. So pecan farmers, people who have pecan trees, yep. um, they will be able to prosecute people. Um, who end up taking their pecans that are on their land or next to a tree that is on their land. So, like, let's say that you're on, like, the interstate. You see, like, a fence, and there's a pecan tree. And you say, I'm just going to pull over on the interstate, just walk over and get some of the pecans that are on the other side of that fence. Well, it still might be an issue. You probably want to stay away from that. It's Um, stealing. You're stealing somebody's inventory. Yes, but this is only through the pecan season, which is September 1st through January 31st. So if you see a pecan anywhere else during that time. Even uh, on private property? Well, I don't think I don't know. That'd be crazy. That'd probably be weird if you did yeah. that. But okay, <laughs> that's one of the ones that I think is uh, just interesting. You got the state fruit and the and the state gemstone. The state fruit is now going to be the blueberry. Um, we haven't had a a state fruit so far, so that's a pretty interesting development. Right. And the state gemstone uh, that is going to be the Mississippi opal. That's the one gemstone that is. Only originates really in Mississippi. I didn't know that. That's pretty interesting. Just enacted both of these bills, right, in the past yes. session. Yes, both yeah. of those were enacted. Um, but some of the more interesting ones that you have, um, you've got um, EV direct sales. of yep. The dealerships, you can't have a dealership doing a direct sale right. of um, an electric vehicle. The manufacturer um, can't own the dealership. Yes. Right. has the to be a third party. One, yes. The only one in Mississippi is the Tesla and Brandon, and that will be grandfathered in. Yep. So that's the one and only so far that I know of personally um, that will still exist. But after tomorrow, we won't be able to have any more. Um, like I said, there's the Arming Teachers one that um, – the uh, Department of um, Education, they had to withdraw um, previous um, rules and regulations last year around this time uh, regarding the ban on firearms. But it's because of a, a special 
uh, carrying license that you can get in Mississippi that was passed in previous legislative sessions. And so now <clears throat> they basically said um, that they have to go through a program and you can get members of you know the staff to be able to get certified specifically to possess a gun on campus. Okay. And so you might be able to have a person on, on your campus now own and uh, have a firearm and is not just an, a security officer. Mm-hmm. Um, other things, fentanyl test strips, there have been, that has been considered paraphernalia uh, so far. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have not been able to get fentanyl test strips um, in Mississippi without it being a crime. And now you can because they're trying to work on the um, fentanyl uh, overdose epidemic that's been going across the whole country and they figure lawmakers believe that um, being able to test and see if some substance that you're taking has traces of fentanyl it might be able to save lives gotcha. so that's been a really cool important thing um, that I've followed through this entire um, past legislative session you also have online sports betting um, which creates a um, 11-member study committee, so we might be able to have sports betting in Mississippi in the future. Couldn't get the bills through, so I think they just Mm -hmm. uh, opted to create this this, uh, group, this committee, to study Mm -hmm. the situation. Yeah, so they'll go into it and look at how it would be in Mississippi, how they could implement it well, look at other states that have done the same thing, and then lawmakers can be able to use that information to possibly, in the future, have mobile sports or online sports betting um, in the state. So. I think that that's pretty interesting as well. Um, there are a lot more that are going to go into effect. If you do want to see that full list, you can go on to supertalk.fm. Um, that's really interesting. One thing that I'm excited about, uh, well, not excited about, but really interested in is that the Jackson's water manager, right now the interim third-party manager, Ted Hennepin, yeah. he um, has been over the water manager. He's been the water manager since... I don't know, probably seven months, I think November yeah, of 2022. Last fall. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so he's been able to do a lot of stuff um, with revamping the water system, making sure that the residents have clean water, that the breaks in the water lines are fixed and um, doing so and uh, getting a lot more funds for more improvements. And now, uh, yesterday, the Jackson City Council, they have voted six to one, uh, with Stokes abstaining, not abstaining, uh, voting against, um, they are uh, going to take Ted Hennepin and put him over the sewer system as well, hmm. because there are over two hundred like areas that are Big having, problem. yeah, that, a lot of residents complain yes. about smell. They know that there's raw sewage mm-hmm. just footsteps from their their house, yes. honestly, their residence. Yes, so they're like right now. There's according to you know what I found. There's over two hundred areas across the state. Or not across the state, oh my goodness, across Jackson that are uh, having issues where wastewater that's untreated has come out of the system and is just going into the environment. Um, Including the Pearl River. Including the Pearl River, yes. And so it's been an issue for residents. They've had to go Mm. out in their streets and they just have raw sewage in their streets in some areas. And uh, they want to be able to fix that. Um, and Ted Hennepin, since he's been able to make sure that there aren't any more uh, boil water notices for the past, you know, year or not, well, six months or so um, since Christmas, there haven't been many boil water notices since in Jackson. I'm going to refrain saying what I'm thinking right now mm-hmm. from saying it, by the way, with respect <laughs> okay. to the sewage in the streets. It's ridiculous, mm-hmm. honestly. Yes. Okay. All right.
Well, man, that was a whole bunch of information going on here in the state of Mississippi. Appreciate it, Alyssa. Yeah, always appreciate so the great work the Super Talk Mississippi News team does. Thanks for coming in. Mm-hmm. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we got riders uh, on the storm by the doors bumping us out. J.T. Mitchell's favorite. Coming right back in the Element Well Studio. Hey, is everybody ready? I'm ready. Ready here. Middays with Gerard Gibbons. On Super Talk Mississippi. It's middays. That would be the grassroots. That's on the all-hit request line here. Uh, let's see. That would have been... I'm going to guess here. 69. Seems, it seems like it was part of that, that group of songs. That would be correct. All right. Got it. On the album, Leaving It All Behind. <laughs> yeah, Jim Walker texts me, my good friend, says, Was that the grassroots? Absolutely it was. That was on the all-hit request line. I'm looking uh, at the album artwork, and it looks like they forgot to bring a stool, so the, the dude's just sitting on a sawhorse. <laughs> oh, man. That's good tunes. They don't make them like that anymore, as they say, do they? And those those lads played their instruments. And song and perform. So, Jeff in Forest County, his answer to the question, of course, what has the Biden administration done on a supply from a supply side, economic policy perspective, fiscal policy, says, well, what about the CHIPS Act? The bipartisan CHIPS Act. Upwards of $300 billion dollars federal money in the form of checks to chip manufacturers and talking about um, silicon-based microchips used in all sorts of stuff in uh, our lives. Totally different deal there, Jeff. As we said, you're just writing checks there to companies and say, hey, come over here and build chips. And it's federal money going to them. That doesn't, it's not designed to increase supply. It's designed to simply incentivize these companies to relocate their operations uh, to this country. So here's what's missing in that discussion and that analysis as well. The primary reason they moved operations abroad, China, Taiwan, cost, as you said. And why is why is uh, why is there such a cost difference? Unions. That's why. Government regulation making it far more expensive to operate in this country. So supply side policy would have been to tear down and repeal some of that onerous legislation, and not pander to labor unions. Now the good news is. 
as time goes on, we don't need that many people working in the chip factories to make those chips. So it's technology and innovation driven by, I know this is a dirty word to leftists, profit. That's what will increase and improve the supply. I should also point out that this whole movement stemming back from the 70s of relocating manufacturing of certain goods, certain items, to the Pacific Rim was pushed by a a more left-leaning consulting organization, McKinsey. You need to just outsource that. You need to just offshore that. That's what started that trend back in the 70s. Same is true in software development. A lot of software development was offshored. India, jam-packed with capable SQL developers. I dealt with them a lot. And honestly, they'll work for about a fifth of what a domestic engineer would work for. Now, many of them seek to immigrate over here, no doubt about it. But it's but it's a risk, of course, and it's more of a hassle. And it's and that can cost some costs, but the market sorts these things out. It's not a place for government. So Jeff goes on to say, how is that different than incentivizing Nissan to build a factory in Canton? Well, I'll answer that. First, and the most obvious distinction is that we're talking about federal money versus state money. That's the most obvious uh, difference. And so, also, the state has to balance the budget. The federal government does not. It can just print money, which is what it does, and lap that onto the debt and say, here, Intel, here, NVIDIA, and other chip manufacturers, Micron, here's some money, go build some chips. That's different than the state abating taxes in exchange for a massive investment from a company Now, I know some folks may have some problems with that, may object to that, on the basis that, well, that's just corporate welfare. I certainly appreciate that. I get it. And I think in in our past, there have been some of these deals that, in looking back, those involved in them would say, yeah, we should have structured that different. And the main, main difference, or the main change they would have made is, you know, we got to make sure we're getting, we're getting our a return on our investment. If we're going to abate taxes, corporate taxes, property, usually it's a package. And and with the MFLEX program, with the MDA, you've got uh, various choices. It's flexible. That can make, when government decides to extend those, uh, those abatements, those incentives, sometimes it's, it's, uh, um, based on incentives are rewarded based on income taxes received from the employees that are hired by the organization receiving those incentives. Now, of course, if we eliminate the income tax, that goes away. Then you have to look at other other um, items that, that the company, other ways the company would 
produce a return on that investment. But we're talking about state money versus federal money. Uh, and again, I understand some people would object to that and they call it corporate welfare. I can also tell you that working in economic development, it's very, very competitive for these projects. You're dealing with other states. And you can certainly shut the door and say, no, we're just not doing that. We're not playing that game. Okay, well, then you won't get any of them. Because your neighboring states will. And sometimes that'll suck people out of your state to go work at whatever those projects are, those business those businesses are in those states. So it's, a, it's quite the dilemma. But in my experience the last three or four years, it never even comes up anymore. What I hear from all these perspective businesses looking to either expand, and they already have operations in Mississippi, or invest in, build new facilities, create new businesses in Mississippi. They're looking at workforce. They really don't care about taxes anymore. I, I'm just being honest. And I, the, Probably the best example I can give is the big Amazon Fulfillment Center right up the road here in Madison. Zero tax incentives. Didn't even care. Didn't want them. It was all about, do you have the people? Do you have the transportation and logistics? Do you have the site? Um, do you have sufficient power? It's all about that. And then the quality of life in the community. They look at health care. They look at schools, etc. It's It's those are the kinds of, of uh, areas that they score, that they consider, that they evaluate. Not the taxes, honestly, which really don't amount to a whole lot to them, relatively speaking now, in an organization that has... 3,200 employees now up there. Property taxes, mainly, to the county of Madison. So no abatement, no loss whatsoever. But it's a different story, honestly, when you're talking about the federal government writing a check, hoping for a return. I, I, I hearken back, Rhino, to Barack Obama and Solyndra, who could remember that, green energy. And then, of course, we learned subsequently. Show already job. Yeah, all that crap. Never happened. He even laughed about it. Well, I guess they weren't as shovel ready as we thought they were. Remember that? He was piling it up with, um, what the heck was the guy that was uh, a big supporter of his that at the time was the CEO of GE. His name escapes me right now. But they were yucking it up one day talking about that. Yeah, it really wasn't shovel ready because they were going to benefit from it. And they didn't. Did nothing. Was it Melt? Jeffrey Immelt, right? I just was about to say it's Jeffrey something. It's Jeffrey Immelt. Yeah. Uh, you see that? They were big buddies, him and Obama. And he was expecting that. But the Solyndra people, of course, were contributors to the campaign. And this was just a payback, a repayment. And what happened to that several hundred million bucks? Just lit a match to it, right? And see, that's the problem. There were there were no, okay, well, you got to produce X before us to give you this money which is in the in the most recent projects where the state has offered such incentives, it's always been with a return before we send you that money. you got to show that you're going to hire these people, that we're going to get X from your investment, so much capital investment, so many employees, so much taxes paid by those employees, etc. It's a completely different deal. So it's apples and oranges, Jeff. We're coming right back. With more here in the Element Well Studios, Robert St. John Restaurant Tour coming up at 1205. Middays with Gerard. Good for America. 
Good for fans of justice and truth. Good for us. Super Talk Mississippi. This is what we stand for. in the Element Well Studios. We're going to have to dig up the old George Jones, I don't need your Geritol. <laughs> oh, man, because... Uh, some, all right, so somebody said that we should... Uh, let's see here. We should do cognitive tests. Yeah. Gerard, I'm in the medical profession. Physicians must take an IQ exam to continue to practice past a certain age, 75, I believe. If that's a requirement for physicians, then why not for our POTUS? Enjoy your show, Sheila and Tupelo. Okay, well, so Sheila, would you also apply that to members of Congress, members of the legislature, statewide leaders, essentially all offices, or just president? Because it seems like if it is sensible to do that, prudent to do that for president, it would be prudent to do the same for all offices. But I but I would ask, can't the people figure that out? I mean, shouldn't that be settled at the ballot box? It's the same thing that with term limits. Like, why do we keep electing the same people? There's some people who who support and promote the idea of term limits and won't limit themselves. They've served multiple terms beyond a, a, the traditional call for term limits. Usually is two in four-year offices, two even in the Senate, U.S. Senate, six-year offices. I've seen, what, three to four in U.S. House, which are two-year terms, but I think certainly in at the state, two, consistent with, like, governor and lieutenant governor, right? So I hear you. Um, and then we had somebody else here said, I agree with Jeff and Grenada. There are reasons why there is a maximum age, a minimum age, pardon me, to be president. There should be a maximum age of 68 for your first term. Studies show cognition and cognitive ability decline at an accelerated rate starting in your late 60s. It's 68, two consecutive terms, makes you 76, 77 on your way out. Sorry, but that's just too old in general. Put me out to pasture there. <laughs> um, okay, so it, it, that's just a it's a that's a blanket approach. Just it doesn't matter based on your age. You're just not fit. I would say there are a lot of 35 year olds that aren't as fit as 75 year olds from a cognitive perspective. So, says, with all due respect, you're not the face of a nation, commander-in-chief, policy influencer, literally the most influential person in the world. So you're saying that a person at that age can't hold that off. So Donald Trump was not qualified, is what you're saying, to be president. I don't really, I mean, you may have complaints about Donald Trump, for example. I just use him as an example because he held that office at the age that would disqualify him based on this analysis. You may have issues with Donald Trump. 
I don't really feel like that mental acuity was one of them. Seemed pretty sharp. Narcissism was one of them. That's definitely one, but that's not related to age. I I feel like Donald Trump would have had about half the slings and arrows flung his way if he had been more willing to share the wealth of credit for things done right. I agree. I I agree. The man is not fit for duty, but man, may God save us all if he's removed from the office before the election. Um, That's uh, talking about uh, Joe Biden, of course. So, what's Kamala? 55? Do you think she's mentally sharp? I don't. I wouldn't say she's any 58. more... 58. She's no more mentally sharp than Joe Biden. I, I just think it's it's case by case. Honestly. And I, I don't think you can just make a blanket sort of guideline. Because I, I think there are folks that are um, more cognitively able at an older age than they are even a younger age. I can certainly understand the desire for a younger a younger crop of choices, especially in the presidential election. Yeah. But I'm I'm with you. I don't agree that there should be a hard limit placed on just a blanket you can't run if you're 65, 68. No. Even if it's you can't run if you're over a hundred, like if they're still able to campaign at a hundred years old and convince a majority of the country to vote for them, that's up to the voters. Let the voters but figure I, that I out. I do understand the desire for a younger group of people to run because it does seem like a lot of politicians are insanely out of touch with the reality of living in America under the age of 40. I I totally agree with you, Rhino, but it doesn't have to be that way. You can be at an older age and still be in touch and still maintain uh, some knowledge of that. You just have to you have to make the decision you're going to do that. You have to commit yourself to do it. I think the problem is, as you get older, you're just less likely to do that. You're removed from it, so you got to work a little harder to stay up with it. We're coming right back with Robert St. John after Fox News and Super Talk News. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Hour three of Middays is on. We are in the Element Well studios on this. Friday, y'all. Joining us now, Robert St. John, restaurateur, chef, Super Talk Mississippi columnist, and uh, uh, quite the author, by the way. I wanted to let you know, Robert, how much I enjoyed your article. Welcome to the show. Hey, Gerard. How are you, buddy? Good I'm doing good great. Good to see you again. I wanted to also tell you that um, I have uh, enjoyed myself a few times at Highball Lanes. Uh, what a great oh, job you did there. Yeah, uh, it's yeah. fantastic. Well, that was a fun project to be associated with. And then, you know, we've just opened Enzo, the Italian restaurant in Ridgeland. Yeah. 
And uh, so we're I'm actually headed up there today. Going to work there tonight and tomorrow. That's been a been a fun project. Yeah, um, and so just so you know, I, I live a stone's throw away from that, a couple of miles, yeah. and have enjoyed right. that as well. I think it's my uh, yeah. my my adult kids have said that's their favorite of the Italian restaurants in the area. So great job there. Well, uh, it's awesome. Obviously, uh, young adult kids with good taste. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but I think I shared with you in the past my my uh, history with uh, bowling, worked at Laurel Lanes when I was in middle school and right. in high school, and, and you told me that you harvested some of, the, uh, some of the wood planks from the lanes and incorporated that into some of the decor in highball lanes, which is really cool. Isn't that right? Yeah, yeah. That was a fun thing. We, it was about a four-year project designing and uh, working with the architects, Werburner Allen, who did a great job on that, and, yep. and the partners up there. And then we got that open, then I actually sold my stock in the bowling uh, alley okay. back in, I guess, December it was. But I'm still a huge fan of what they do and fully support uh, what's going on in Fondren and and loved. Uh, I'll uh, I'll always look back on that as being one of the more unique of all the restaurant openings I've had over the years. About twenty four or twenty five, I guess, in the last forty years. That was uh, that was a very fun thing to be a part of, and they they continue to do a, a great job down there. Yeah, it's awesome. It's uh, it's an important part of that community, and we appreciate uh, your vision and your investment yeah. there. So good job. All right, so July fourth. Yeah. What uh, what are we cooking on July fourth, uh, Chef? You know, well, I'll tell you what I'm doing, and and I wanted to actually do it on July fourth, but my wife invited everybody to the lake. Uh, Sunday, so we're we're a few days ahead, and we've got about thirty people out there. and And I wish I could tell you I was doing some kind of gourmet deal, but actually, I'm I'm going all American with burgers and hot dogs and barbecue ribs. Okay, and, all right. and so uh, I'll be cooking. I got a, I got I've, I've held out on the Blackstone Grill thing for a long time. Everybody's gotten those. And I've been, I've been like, well, I don't know if I want to, I don't want to, and I'm, I'm still not sure I'll cook steaks on a flat top. I just use a Weber grill when I, when I grill steaks out. I got you. But I got that thing because, uh, when we have a lot of people out there and you're doing burgers or dogs or you're doing breakfast with pancakes and sausage and eggs. So this will be the first time I've cooked on it. I got one of those 36 inch Blackstone, uh, seasoned it yesterday. So I was out there in a hundred degree heat. With a 500 degree big surface, and I, it was <laughs> oh man, it was crazy. But yeah, so I'll be cooking burgers and dogs and ribs and just doing the real Fourth um, of July American thing, and we'll have all the typical, you know, condiments and side orders with that. Man, that's neat. That but is- actually, the, the, I, I'm cheating a little bit, and I'll be honest with you because. Um, you know, I'm getting the the burgers and the buns and the hot dogs and buns from Ed's Burger Joint here. Okay. Uh, our our yeah. Set. So uh, I'm getting those in advance, and I'll cook them myself. But um, instead of going to the grocery store, I'm just pilfering out of uh, <laughs> one of my restaurants. And I got actually, you. and I shouldn't admit this on the air uh, because my my friends who are true barbecue aficionados will scoff at this and i understand and 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 i i I will take all the scoff they want to throw my way but uh we have an altar sham in the kitchen at uh crescent city grill 
And for those that don't know, an Autosham is a, is a slow cook oven that has the heating element on all six sides. Right. Uh, and we have a regular one that we cook prime rib in, and then we have a smaller Autosham that's a smoker as well. So you put chips in there, and uh, it will. I'm putting some baby back ribs in. And uh, we're going to smoke them in the altar sham, which is totally, I know, save the emails, save the comments. <laughs> I know that is not legit barbecuing. I'm all, and I write about it all the time. I'm all about not using any artificial fuel and doing the real deal with pecan wood or hickory or whatever you want to do. But I, I'm making it as easy as I can on myself because I know it's going to be about 100 degrees out there and i got to feed 30 <laughs> people. So I'm cooking, cooking the ribs in advance at the restaurant and bringing them out and just heating them up. Wow. Um, so uh, you're making me hungry now, by the way, Chef, talking about all that stuff. So <laughs> uh, so your your article that, uh, that you published, it was published uh, at Super Top Mississippi. Um, mm-hmm. Man, it uh, it was awesome. I so enjoyed reading your story and your, your perspective. Uh, ha- have you ever put that down in writing quite like that before, Robert? Um. No, no, you know, I've, I've written that column for the last, I'm almost in my 25th year. I've done it every week. I've never missed a week for 20, almost 25 years. Wow. About a thousand words a week. I was tickled to death last fall, I think it was, or maybe earlier this year when, when, uh, Super Talk asked to, to start running that column. Yeah. And, uh, and so I'm tickled to death to be on, you know, this statewide, because newspapers have kind of, gone the way. I'm still in maybe 20-some-odd newspapers every week, but it's not like it was, you know, 10, 15 years ago. I got you. So I'm really grateful to the folks at Super Talk, and I'm honored to be in there. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I write about Mississippi a lot, and yeah. about being proud to be from Mississippi, and I've written, years ago, I wrote a piece called My South that ended up becoming um, uh, one of these viral emails before we even knew what a viral email was and it, it was based on the premise i was actually in aspen at a food event and we were seated at a at a table at a dinner that night with some couples from las vegas and the lady asked me you know what kind of i said well i'm in the restaurant business and she said what kind of restaurant and at the time you know it was purple parrot fine dining i said it's a fine dining restaurant and she kind of scoffed and said mississippi doesn't have fine dining restaurants <laughs> and I, and it kind of upset me, and I was about to, because I, I carry around this whole list of, well, let me tell you about Elvis Presley, let me tell you about William Faulkner and Eudora Welty and Morgan Freeman, you know, reel off all the things we've done and the people who've come from here. And then I stopped myself because I was like, why am I going to try and convince this woman? Why do I need to win her over? She may move down here. We don't want her. We can stay in Las Vegas, the land that had been at the 99-cent breakfast buffet, and she can stay there, and we're better off. And so I wrote this piece based on that because our image in Mississippi, even today, is still, you know, a lot of people think we're either the barefooted kid walking down a dirt road, you know, That's right. uh, in somewhere, or we're Big Daddy on the front porch in a seersucker suit <laughs> drinking a mint julep. And that's, we're not stereotypical Mississippian. That's like saying everybody in California is a surfer, everybody in Texas yeah. is a cowboy yeah. or something. It's just, that's not what we are. The, the Mississippi of movies and TV is not the Mississippi we know that you and I live in. And so I take exception with that a lot. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, I take, 
people talk about Texans being proud to be from Texas, and you know, I'm I'm that times ten, really. I, I I love being from this state. I love this state. I could live in a lot of other places, but you know, I, I choose to live here. It's like Morgan Freeman said, and it said in that column. Somebody asked him, you know, you can live anywhere in the world. Why do you live in Mississippi? And he replied. I live in Mississippi because I could live anywhere in the world. Right. And then he followed it up later with, I'd live here for food alone. Yeah. So, I mean, good enough for Morgan Freeman, I'll take that. And and you do a great job of pointing out that Mississippi is comprised of uh, many small towns. And uh, you enjoy the small yeah. town life, and it's a, it's a, it's an advantage, honestly, for our state. Because you even in our sort of small towns, we have lots of great amenities and attractions that you typically wouldn't find in small towns, which makes them a good place to live. Hattiesburg. You know, it just makes it real. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm into real. Things that are real and not yeah. fake and not false and... People who are genuine, and that's what you get in, in, in you know, small-town communities. You get a sense of community. You get a sense of place. And, and you know, you can, you can live in big urban areas outside of the South, and you are in a place, but I'm not sure you have sense yeah. of place. And I certainly don't think there's as strong a sense of community. I agree. And uh, Robert, it's and, always and a pleasure. Yeah, I agree with you. It's always great to talk to you, man, and congratulations on all your success, and thank you for investing in and believing in Mississippi and being a great Mississippian, and I'm sure we'll be talking to you soon. You have a great uh, July 4th. Take care, my friend. Happy 4th, buddy. You got it. We're coming right back with more in the Element Well Studio. Stay with us. This program. Gerard Gibbert. Here we go. This is huge, huge, huge news. Huge, huge, huge news. Huge. You need to listen to this. Middays with Gerard. Super Talk, Mississippi. The Great Toto, that had to be 82, 1982. Another guess. How'd I do? I think it was 78. Oh, shoot. Missed that one. Well, man, that's a little prior to what I thought. All right, the great Toto bumping us into this segment here on Middays. We are pleased that you decided to stay with us today. Had a great show. I can't think of another week. Well, there's been so much happening uh, for us to discuss than this particular week. And uh, like I said, I was all sort of prepped up to talk about Joe Biden and his his Bidenomics plan. And uh, yesterday that got disrupted with the Supreme Court ruling in the morning. It was scrambling around to get my head around that one. And then today... We get the uh, the ruling on student loans, where the Supreme Court says that Joe Biden does not have the authority 
with the stroke of a pen to forgive about $500 billion of student loans. you got to pay them back. I think the closest to this week would be, what was it, the second week of March 2020, when it seemed like just domino after domino after domino was falling, of this is shutting down and that's yeah. closing down and this is locking up and those are going home and this is canceled and that's canceled. And seems I seem to recall that an NBA game, Seems, yeah, that was kind of the one of the, the first linchpin. Things, right? It was the the player that was joking about having it and then tested positive right. and then all hell broke loose. That's right. And then they started out, seems like they kind of limited it, right, to coaches and players. Is that isn't that right? Don't you recall that? No fans and, and then they said, No, we're not playing at all or something like yeah, that. Yeah, and then they had the bubble. <laughs> where where all the teams went in the bubble That's and they right. had to wear the rings that kept up with their That's vitals. Right. And you had baseball that played in front of no fans, and that looked weird on TV. So then they had the whole thing where, hey, send us your picture. We'll put it on a cutout and put it in the stands. And, hey, we're going to put these teddy bears in the stands and then donate them. Because mm-hmm. you remember the video of the, the teddy bear sitting in, I think it was the left field bleachers, got clocked by a foul ball That's and right. one of the attendees came out and gave the bear cpr <laughs> i do remember that um but you're right it was just uh that was a watershed moment i guess when that happened but that was story after story after story That's where true. you never felt like you'd catch your breath you're, you're right uh college baseball remember that whole deal shut down right in the middle of it and uh yeah uh, all sorts of crazy stuff going on then. Uh, this this feels a little similar to that, honestly. It does, in my view. Um, when you just look at the the volume of news coming out, and it's, I guess especially when you've got the excuse me there when you've got the um, the Supreme Court so active, and we knew this was going to be it. I mean, it just kept putting it off, putting it off, right? But two days in a row of landmark decisions, I'm not sure there's ever been a period in history of the Supreme Court where you've had so many pivotal, key, I mean, just ground-shaking decisions in 24 hours. That's That's got to be a bit unusual. I mean, it's not unusual for the Supreme Court to hand down this many decisions. Oh, right. But usually out of... Anywhere from four to ten decisions handed down by the Supreme Court, you get one, maybe two, that grabs the headline. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's... that's this, you've got two big headlines and about four or five others that are just kind of sitting there going, well, we would have been the spotlight if yeah. not for that. Yeah, I, I think that's exactly right. It's it's just, it's just unusual uh, in my view. And uh, because it, these have had so much attention paid to them. A lot of times, you know, Supreme Courts hand down decisions, and if you think about it, they usually don't affect such a huge swath of society. I think that's why these are getting so much airtime and attention uh, in the news and, and even here on our opinion show, because typically it's like, okay, well, that's a decision, and we don't even know about it. The Dobbs decision was one that, of course, was sweeping. And then these, though, when you're talking about something that's been in place for so long, the uh, entrenched, honestly, 
affirmative action and admissions in colleges been around a long time. And it's, again, the reaction from people is really crazy, isn't it? So there is a, uh, there was one that I caught, and again, I got a little, a little surprised in that on my Twitter feed. One of those back to back deals. The algorithm having fun with you. Yeah, and that's fine. So, I'll read this one for you first. Congresswoman Cori Bush. She is, of course, a card-carrying member of the squad. I'm just going to go ahead and be honest about it. She's a racist. Pretty much everything that comes out of her mouth is has some racial connotation and subject matter. She says, predominantly white institutions have historically banned black and brown people. So something I noticed, I'm going to stop right there. Black people, the word black is capitalized, but brown is not. Why is that? Isn't that racist? Yeah, but that was recommended. Was the AP that recommended that? Oh, brown is not? years ago but to black, capitalize black. Because I see white capitalized a lot in the, in journalist uh, domain. But I want to say that was the AP. I, I do. They have a style guide. You're right. But... Brown's not. That would seem to be racist to me. I'll continue. Black and brown people from accessing higher education. Affirmative action continues to help level an uneven playing field. SCOTUS's decision to strike it down is yet another attack on our rights. We need court reform. So what's missing in that statement in her analysis there, is that there are many applicants who have been rejected because of their race. <laughs> That's just missing. It's It spawned an industry. Let me help you complete your application so they don't know that you're Asian because you got no chance. I saw... I saw Nikki Haley in an interview last night. You guys may have caught it. And her, she has a son who's applying for admission to college. Of course, she is Indian, and her husband is white. And so her 18-year-old son said to her, You know, Mom, I've got no chance. You're Indian and Dad is white. But that's okay to Corey. And she said it sort of tongue-in-cheek, but isn't that the reality of what's been going on? Of course it is. Like I've said before, without hyperbole, what would Democrats have to talk about? I mean, just look at (sighs) Justice Kagan's dissent about the student loans. Quote from Justice Kagan, quote, So imagine the horrific. A terrorist organization sets off a dirty bomb in Chicago. Beyond causing deaths, the incident leads millions of residents, including many with student loans, to flee the city to escape the radiation. They must find new housing, probably new jobs. And still, their student loan bills are coming due every month. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) What are these people smoking? Dude, you shouldn't have taken out the loan. I mean, but of course, remember, the concept, the principle of individual... Responsibility 
is a product of European white colonization supremacy racism, right? Isn't that what we've been told? Individual responsibility, personal responsibility, we can't have that. Somebody else is responsible for your actions. And they love pointing to PPP loans, but they fail to realize the PPP loans were authorized by Congress. They were. controls the purse strings. Right. Not the, if Congress right. would have tried to cancel student debt, this wouldn't have gone to the Supreme Court because they'd have had the authority to do it. You're you're totally right. Okay, so somebody said something to me. Was it you, Thomas, uh, that said that you sent so much stuff today? Uh, uh, bailouts, right? Didn't you say something about bailouts? Yeah, here you go. To play devil's advocate, says Thomas in Greenwood, do banks and corporations deserve bailouts? Yeah, I will answer that on the other side of the break here uh, because uh, I'll, I'll explain the nuance there. We're coming right back with more in the Element Well Studios. Going beyond the headlines, breaking down the stories that matter to Mississippi. Middays with Gerard on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone. It's the final half hour of middays from the Element Well Studios. Somebody in the Scott Hattiesburg wanted to know if we talked about the central bank digital currency, major change in money and banking set to roll out by the Fed tomorrow. Uh, we've talked about it. A, we've talked about it. B, it's not. that's not what's rolling out. What's rolling out is the Fed now, which is really a significantly improved clearinghouse system that makes transactions instantly available. It's a, it's a modernization of the technology the Fed uses to clear transactions between member banks. So it's not. I've seen so many people are confused about this and say that yeah, it's a new central bank digital currency. It's not. It's, it's really a, a much-needed improvement to the Fed's clearing systems, which are brutally complicated. Um, and this is really just a, a technology improvement. And so here's an example of how that would affect you. You've, you've uh, in any financial institution, you see the Fed's of uh, funds availability policy. You deposit by a certain date and time, or certain time, I should say, of day. Uh, those funds are available either today or tomorrow, depending on that particular time of day. That led to many workarounds. Like, if you deposit a check, you might have to wait a couple of days, but you can walk in and cash the check 
and then deposit the cash, and it's available immediately. Yeah, and then add the caveat of who the check's drawn on, right. their bank or a, or a different bank, right? So, uh, and this changes all that. And it's going to take a little while for the banks for it to matriculate down to the retail level, but in general, it means when you make that deposit, even if it's past the funds availability time of day, it's available. And it's it's not as important, I shouldn't say that, where it really has a huge impact, let's put it that way, is in is in business-to-business transactions. Uh, lots of wires and stuff like that. And, and by the way, folks, if, if, if you've never been involved in this, you may not know, but, but when there are business transactions, let's say acquisition of a business, for example, where there's funds that are involved, at closing, those are done through wires. Those aren't done through writing checks. It's not like you go to your lawyer to buy a house and, you know, so much to the realtor, so much to the seller, so much to the lawyers, so much to, uh, I don't know, the government, whatever, for taxes and so forth. Uh, But when you're doing these business transactions, it's all done through wires. And, by the way, it's a third party that handles that. There are companies in the business, they're called paying agents, and that's what they do. And they get a schedule of all the payments that have to be made. And when you're doing these business combinations, there's a bunch of people who have to be paid. It's basically reality catching up to fiction, because you see in the movies where somebody's doing something and they pull out the the suitcase that's a laptop and you got to put in your hand and you get the fingerprints and it scans your eye and we're going to wire you $10 billion. That's and it's right. there in their account immediately. Well, that's it's kind of what's happening here. Right. Yeah. Now reality's catching up to that. Because beforehand, it it didn't happen instantaneously like that. Much overdue, honestly. And uh, so this is a good thing, folks. This is not a bad thing. I know those that are are scared about central bank digital currency, and the major objection there that people have is that, well, the Fed knows what I'm buying. They don't like what I'm buying. They shut my account down. I don't uh, share that concern, honestly. I don't just don't see that happening, um, ever. Even if we, if the Fed does introduce a central bank digital currency, and honestly, on the one hand, it's a little hard to say. Well, I want the government to be more efficient and to cut costs. This is a way to do that, by the way. But I don't like that because of how that might uh, possibly compromise my privacy or give the government powers that I don't want them to have over me. I understand those concerns, but you see where I'm going there. It's a bit of a conflict. So, Thomas, back to your point. Uh, not your point, but your – oh, my gosh, Thomas, what a book of text there. Let me get back to your um, uh, your other one about the bailouts. I said I'd get to that. So as part of um, the, uh, the famous TARP program back in the Bush administration in the wake of the 2008 crash of the financial system, not really the crash of the financial system, but the crisis – um, as a result of all these uh, def- uh, credit default swaps that were being defaulted on and also the subprime lending craze that was going on prior to that. Yeah, that, that caused, uh, I think it was Lehman Brothers, right, it was the first one to go down, and then it was just a, a, a waterfall of failures from there and other problems. But Who can forget the stream of Ferraris pouring out of that parking lot? That's true, and that is true. Um, so, what, so what happened is the government stepped in and authorized 
uh, what are commonly referred to as bailouts, mainly to the banking industry, also to the automobile industry, right? So here's what is probably not realized about that, is that most banks were forced to take money. I know that firsthand because I had some customers that were large banks, and I asked them about it. They said, yeah, they made us take it. Didn't really have a choice. We don't want it. The other thing that that a lot of uh, Americans don't know, every single dime was paid up back. It wasn't just, here's some free money for a bailout. They were loans. Troubled Asset Relief Program. Every single dime that was loaned to the banks as part of that program was paid back with interest, making it one of the best Returns on investment for the American taxpayer ever. Now, I'm not saying we should just go out and start loaning money to banks, or any companies for that matter. But that's just the truth. The money, on the other hand, that the government provided to the automobile manufacturers, GM, Ford, by the way, rejected it. Uh, uh, GM, Chrysler did accept it, as I recall. That was an equity investment on the part of the taxpayer. That's taxpayer money being invested in the stock of a company. That's still out there. But the, but the loans to the banks, every penny, paid back with interest. Just wanted, to, um, just wanted to point that out. I'm not saying I support it. I'm just pointing out that it wasn't a bailout in the form of, here's some money, no strings attached, you never have to pay it back. That's what a student loan cancellation would be. Here's some money to go to college. By the way, we're canceling that there. You never have to pay it back. That's what Jeff's Chips Act is. Here's some money. Go build chips. You never have to pay it back. I just want to point that out. I think that's an important distinction. So, um, so Thomas, what would you have done? You're saying bailing out uh, anyone isn't the proper role of government in a constitutional republic. That's picking winners and losers, blah, 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 blah. So, so Thomas, that wasn't a bailout, right? Do you agree with that? That was a loan. That wasn't a bailout. Did it, did it um, put the banking industry on, on solid ground financially and stabilize it? Yeah. If we hadn't? No big deal. The global economy would have collapsed. And a lot of people stand their ground and say, we just should have done that. Okay. We'd all be in the streets still today, likely. That probably sounds a little crazy, hyperbole. I don't know what would have happened, unfortunately. The too-big-to-fail banks concept is a concern, which is why we have regulations. A problem is, like with the Silicon Valley Bank, the regulators were asleep at the wheel, and they allowed um, that bank to fail and a couple of others as well. By the way, one of the reasons the Dow is up today is because two days ago, stress test applied across the banking sector, new stress test, all passed, which shows that the banks are actually in pretty good financial condition, better than expected, better than thought by the market. New, a new set of stress tests, capital requirements, which is good news, honestly, for the market. And then today we had a little bit better uh, situation. Tom says it was a bailout. No, it wasn't, Thomas. It's just what? Bailout would be you don't have to pay it back. It was a loan. You're not making the distinction between a loan and a bailout. 
That's the difference. And by the way, if you borrow money from a bank, that's actually, to the bank, that debt is insured up to a certain amount through an insurance program. It's operated by the federal government. It's contributed to by the banks. So, Thomas, you would have just let all the banks fail, the entire financial system fail, right, to stand your ground just on the principle of it. I hate that it happened, but here's my feeling about it. Government caused that problem, not the banks. Government caused that problem because back in the late 90s, they said, oh, Barney Frank and company, Massachusetts Democrat in the House, he's the one that said he authored the bill. You will, banks, loan money to people who aren't qualified for those loans. You will do that as a condition of being licensed to operate in this country. And they did that, and they piled up, and then the whole thing imploded. So the government, I think, rightfully has to go correct that, and I think they made the right move. We're coming right back with a final segment. Gerard Gibbert. He keeps his classified documents right where they belong. Inside a journey record jacket from the 1980s. Gerard Gibbert. Super Talk Mississippi. Well, studios. Let's see. Rusty asks, "How many student loan holders are white?" It, it's, I say, it's relatively close. I don't know the number, but most of the statistics you see published about this, uh, usually the metrics are what percent of uh, degree holders based on the degree take out student loans. So, for example. Uh, for white for white people, thirty eight percent of white people have loans, outstanding loans for their bachelor's degree. Fifty seven percent for their graduate degree, and then black and African Americans, fifty four percent, and then seventy six percent. So, I believe as a demographic, though, uh, the highest. Uh, average balance of student loans is attributed to black females. Like thirty-five grand, I want to say, is kind of the the average that they have. But the the difference, uh, yeah, uh, forty-one thousand. It's it's been up, uh, it but increased a bit. Pacific Islanders, Hawaiian women at thirty-eight thousand. American Indian, Alaskan. Alaska Native women at 36, then white women at 33. So it's not a whole lot of difference. I mean, it's, I guess you could say the 7,000 between white women and black women at the top. Um, Asian women borrowers owed the lowest amount among the women, by the way. These are just looking at the, the female statistics. Can, do we have females anymore? Hell, I don't even know. So, And the latest breakdown I saw 
showed that 60% of student loan debt held is held by those with master's degrees or doctorates. Yeah, it's graduate degrees. Because it's more expensive, for one thing, uh, to earn those degrees. Typically, it depends. But those can come at a higher cost. Which they Uh, chose to take on. Yeah, and of course, it's accumulating more because you're in school longer. So you naturally, if you've you've used uh, debt, leveraged debt, for your education, you decided to stay in. Honestly, I couldn't. I couldn't afford it. I couldn't go beyond the bachelor's degree. I don't regret that at this point. I, I had a mentor in school that said, uh, a professor that I've, I trusted very much for guidance, and said, if you get the job you want, get out of here. That's what he said. And I think that was the right advice in looking back. I sometimes think about, you know, I wish I would have stayed in and gotten advanced degrees, but I, but I didn't. But even if the Supreme Court hadn't ruled against Biden's cancellation of student loan debt, it would simply be a Band-Aid on a bullet wound. Yeah. It would help those that have been to school but haven't paid off their debt. It wouldn't help anybody that has paid off their debt. And it doesn't solve the problem of colleges and universities giving 18-year-olds $75,000 in debt for useless degrees. Totally agree. And that's that's always been my contention as well. And my concern is that so much of that money was invested in worthless degrees that there's there's no consideration of that. Well, what are you going to use this to major in? What what, what are you going to study? We So we don't really come back and look at, okay, did you get a degree with all this money you borrowed that the taxpayers loaned you that's useful, that can enable you to to secure productive, valuable work so that you can prosper and take care of your family, you and or your family. And that just doesn't ever seem to come up, you know what I'm saying? And, and like so many other things that the government does, we just don't ever go back and, and, uh, and measure what the true impact was of, of those policies. Uh, I regret that the, the last couple of days have been consumed with lots of things coming out of the federal government, and that we didn't really get to talk a lot about uh, what's going on here in the state. Uh, Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman was on with Paul Gallo yesterday. Folks, if you hadn't heard that, I would encourage you to go to our YouTube site, etc., and uh, take a listen. Um, it, it got just a little confrontational, I would say. Um, and that's fine. You know, it's an, ele- it's an election, and I appreciate uh, Mr. Gallo for asking some tough questions and the lieutenant governor. I think he, uh, he reacted. And that's, that's cool. But I look forward to uh, having the opportunity to interview the candidates as we're approaching the uh, election day. You know we're going to talk to them all over at the Neshoba County Fair. And in addition to that, but uh, both candidates have done what I've been asking for, which is they've come out and said where they stand on certain issues, at least from a perspective of these are my priorities. And we're going to dig into that next week. I'm going to analyze that and go through that and get your take on it as well. And uh, I hope you'll join us for that. In the meantime, it is the end of the program here. It's the weekend. We'll be here Monday, the best of on Tuesday, the 4th. Folks, have a great weekend. Until then, God bless. Stay safe. A super 
Talk Mississippi Media Production.